welcome to the Home of Medicine podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge, a podcast in association with the European Federation of Internal Medicine. I'm an acute physician working in Coventry in the United Kingdom. And today I am incredibly honoured to be joined by Dr. Saab Clare, who is also a consultant in acute medicine in the UK. So Saab, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Great. Thanks, Amy. And thanks for inviting me to join you on this incredible podcast. I'm really honoured. So as you've said, I'm an acute medical consultant, just like you. I'm also deputy medical director at the Sandwell and West Birmingham NHS Trust, heavily involved in um, sort of developing and delivering our new hospital called the Midland Metropolitan, which will hopefully open next year. Um, And really um, doing what acute physicians do, seeing and sorting our patients out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. So today you're going to present a case to me. So over to you. Yeah, let's kick off. So this is a case that was presented to me um, quite a few years ago, but really um, got lots of learning points and hopefully we'll tease them out as we as we talk. Great. So um, this is a 19 year old. She's a, an Asian girl and um, she presents um, to Edie with chest pain and shortness of breath. And she gets referred into medicine as an ACS but she's 19, so things don't really fit in. So I'm listening to this story and thinking, okay. And the history really is not acute, it's chronic. It's been going on for six months, but it's not just chest pain and shortness of breath. Her symptoms are very much, she's tired. She's got a bit of weight loss, aches and pains, feeling dizzy, generally weak. Prior to this, she's been in ED several times with the same symptoms and dismissed. And prior to that, she's been to a GP at least 12 times. And she was told that she's got anxiety, she's depressed. A bit about her socially, she's um, working as a teaching assistant. And she says, I'm not stressed, but I've been labelled as having panic attacks. And as this case was being presented to me by the junior, there was a lot of, you know, dismissal in the presentation as well. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts, Amy, going forward? So... We've got a 19 year old female with chest pain, shortness of breath, who was referred to you with acute coronary syndrome. And, but on further history taking, this pain's been there for six months. She's tired, she's lost weight, and she's got some general aches and pains. Now, my first thing whenever I see a female is, is she pregnant? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, uh, and thankfully, she's, she's not pregnant, no. Okay, so I always say every woman is pregnant until proven otherwise. Um, So did that pregnancy test and it's negative. So what's really interesting is when you're in the emergency department and a patient is referred to you, is how that patient is sold to you and how they're framed to you. So chest pain, shortness of breath, acute coronary syndrome, and you think, well, actually, she's 19 years old. So why was that diagnosis made on a 19-year-old? There must be something else that Mm. is possibly going on. Absolutely. She said, been to the GP 12 times. What was the time frame she'd visited the general practitioner in? So this has been going on now for six months and she's back and forth. Um, she was given, um, well, proposed to be given antidepressants and labelled as you've got anxiety, you've got depression. But when you dig deep, she hasn't got no hard symptoms of anxiety or panic attacks, um, but it's that labelling mm. and that label interesting enough, continued, you know, through her ED admissions, and she was dismissed. 
and that's you often see that it's that diagnostic momentum where somebody's given a diagnosis very early on in their clinical um, pathway and then it's very difficult then to get rid of that diagnosis and I've also seen it in patients who are given a label of anxiety and depression and they actually then do develop the symptoms of anxiety and depression because they're continuously told they've got it yeah and it's like oh it must be then (laughs) so I think we have to be very careful Mm -hmm. and the whole sort of um young Indian Asia girl you know it was the connotations with that and the whole sort of you know um yes she's got aches and pains perhaps a bit of vitamin d deficiency you know the usual And, and that really throughout my career has you know you have to really stop your juniors from labeling and that unconscious bias Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because I've noticed when you do also get a story from your junior doctor or colleague who, who's presenting that case to you, they've also made a decision about the diagnosis and they then sell that to you. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's very difficult to question that diagnosis and to go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And as you know, juniors, when they're presented to you, they're very forthright because they want to present to you that they're confident, they know what's going on, and they're very convinced that this is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And often I have to take a step back and think, okay, so let's rewind and start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's, I know when I was a junior doctor, I was definitely like that. I was like, it's got to be a PE. It must be, it fits. But actually, and it was really hard to, I'll probably still do it now, to be honest. Um, it was really hard to take a step back because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's challenging sometimes yeah. to question your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, and I think as juniors, you're, you're very in that machine type mentality where you just want to get the diagnosis but as we mature and we're more senior you look at the whole picture holistically Mm -hmm. Uh, because one of the main things I always do is tell me about the social history tell me what's going on at home because that's where the jigsaw puzzle comes together yeah absolutely so what happened next yeah so I so that was presented to me as oh this is all but nothing you know she's coming all these times it's it's all but nothing and it's like so okay so I went to see her she was put in a side room and I went deeper into the history there was more to it she was also having a mild fever intermittently and that weight loss it wasn't huge but she was she was thin she couldn't really quantify how much weight she'd lost but there was something more going on and interestingly enough no one really examined her no one examined her and I said, said to her, okay, has anyone done a top to toe? But no, they hadn't. No one had listened to her heart, examined her chest, look at her peripherally, not even the junior doctor. Um, so I examined her and, and that's where I picked up some clinical signs. So I sort off with a heart and I found a, a murmur consistent with aortic regurgitation. Um, so that's not normal in a 19 year old. And she had a very weak, weak radial pulse on the left side, which I could hardly feel. Um, in addition to that, I did have some blood tests as well. As you can imagine, her, her troponins were negative. Her D, her D diamond was actually negative. Her, her, her bloods, were, and her ECG was fine, but her bloods did show a raised ESR and CRP as well. So any thoughts? So we've got some raised inflammatory markers. She's got a stonking, uh, aortic regurgitant murmur in someone who's got some odd constitutional symptoms. Mm. Did she have any night sweats? Yes, she did. Yeah, a few night sweats. 
Okay. Um, and you said she'd lost weight. How much weight had she lost? Yeah, she couldn't really tell us, but she was incredibly slim. She was like sort of a size six, um, but she she couldn't quantify how much. Okay. Any foreign travel? No travel at all. No, nothing at all. Okay. Um, any change? This is going to sound strange. Any changes in her hair? Had her hair been falling out? No, nothing like that. So there was no features of yeah thyroid, thyroid issues or anything like that. No. Okay. Any rash? No rashes. Okay. Joint pains? Um, aches and pains in joints. Yeah. Okay. But there sort was of- no on examination. There was no you know, arthritis or swelling or anything like that, but she did have some joint pain. Okay. Um, Any past medical history of note? Nothing at all. Completely fit and well. And that's where it really was, you know, she was really upset and I I felt Mm. so bad for her because these six months she'd been, you know, having these symptoms, but was Mm. completely dismissed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it was really eye-opening when I, I was actually the first person that actually listened to her heart. Mm. And that was really disappointing because you just think, okay, because if somebody had listened to her heart six months ago, you know, something would have been done. Yeah. This is, she had rheumatic fever as a child? No, no, she's, there's no features of rheumatic uh, fever. Okay. But as you can imagine, so um, those in the audience, I, I'm a real POCUS enthusiast. Yes. It's a point of care ultrasound. So on my post-tape ward round, um, I got out the ultrasound because she had this 19-year-old with a stonking aortic regurgitate murmur. The first thing you want to think is, have they got endocarditis? Absolutely. Um, And um, so I put the probe on and she had a severe aortic regurgitation, but she didn't have any vegetations uh, that I could see. Okay. And I also um, scanned her aortic arch and that was um, essentially dilated. Mm-hmm. And um, we did some other bits of bobs as well. So she definitely had a very weak uh, radial, left radial pulse, mm-hmm. but there was no significant differences in her blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So that's where, where we got to. Okay. Was there any family history of any rheumatological conditions? Um, no, there wasn't. No. no. Okay. So I do have a diagnosis in mind, but it's incredibly rare. And um, so I, I'm thinking sort of along the lines of Tachyia Suze or Titus. Well, there you go, Amy, you've cracked it in one. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. So so I, I was incredibly proud that we diagnosed Tachyia arthritis on the post-8 ward round <laughs> in acute medicine. Yeah. So, um, absolutely right. So this is somebody who's young, female, has got some constitutional symptoms. She's got this murmur. She's got this um, uh, weak radial pulse, um, but had sadly and unfortunately been labeled with anxiety and depression. And she carried on with these symptoms. She reattended and attended and still no one listened to her heart because that gave her away really. Um, No one actually listened to her, the story. Mm. So for me, it was that, it's about stripping it back to the basics and and the audience may say oh well that's all very fancy that you did an ultrasound at the bedside and stuff but actually I didn't we didn't need to do that let's strip it back to the history go back to the basic examination and you can put them together especially with the raised inflammatory markers as well Mm -hmm. and it's 
I'm a massive fan of history taking. Um, Osler says, listen to your patient. They are telling you the diagnosis. Absolutely. And, you know, if you take a really good structured history and it can take time to do that. And sometimes it is difficult. Patients will often say, I've already told three doctors this today. Um, and it can be frustrating for them. But often we ask questions maybe slightly differently. You get different information. So taking a history will often give you that diagnosis or ideas and the examination will help to confirm that. And actually all these fancy investigations, do we really need them all? Absolutely. I mean, she goes on to have a CTA autogram and TOE and all sorts, which, you know, puts all the diagnosis together. But, you know, within that post-hate ward round, we'd put it all together. A young girl raised inflammatory markers. She's got AR, dilated aorta, you know, um, weak radial pulse, this is tachyasis. Mm. And her symptoms fit, fitted in with that, with the sort of, their, their sort of constitutional, um, mm. the dizziness, the, the aches and pains, the fevers. Um, really, really interesting case. Yes, it's, it's a rare diagnosis and it's really fancy. However, for me, it really stripped it back to the basics, history and examination. And really yeah. important not to dismiss our patients yeah absolutely i think we certainly when you've got individuals who are frequent attenders they're often labeled as difficult individuals or there's nothing wrong with them or oh just you know they've come in with something silly but actually sometimes you go back like you say to basics and then take that history because the problem is you again with this with this individual there are so many cognitive biases that were in this case as soon as she walked in that door mm. she's young she can't have anything wrong with her she's young yeah um she's to, to the point where they don't even examine her because yeah. you're 90 you don't need to examine you whereas if this was a i don't know a 50 year old we would have done mm. a top to toe it's really interesting isn't it and yeah. also if you know if somebody had seen tachyasis aortitis before it might they may have thought about it um yes. but it's you know but sort of thinking well i've seen this before that hindsight bias but actually um it, it it's a really interesting and in how we approach the younger patient compared to the older patient mm -hmm. so and I'm as you know because we've worked together at city a lot of our patients are all young and we have lots of regular uh, you know attenders and you know, I think as us as seniors, we have to be the one that takes our juniors out that Fisher circle and say, look, stand back and look with, you know, look with your big lenses on what's going on with our patients, because there's always a reason why they're coming in. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it is, you know, and as you say, it's all there in the history. The patients will give you the, give you the answers. Yeah. And sometimes the reason they keep reattending may not be because it's a medical problem, but it might be through to challenges at home. Yeah. So, you know, I've seen individuals come in frequently because they've got no central heating mm. or they're having issues with their pets or, you know, it can be these things that actually there is something going on. It might not be medical, but it's still something that we need to find out and address mm. and really look into. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So with this individual then, what was her course? What happened next? Yeah, so she went on to have um, a formal echocardiogram. She went on to have a CTA autogram, which essentially showed, you know, features of tachyasus. And she started on uh, methylpred and a cyclophosphamide and she's done really well she's under the rheumatology team being monitored um i've seen her pop up a few other times with 
other things Mm -hmm. but um you know it's because we go back to when she first got diagnosed when she was you know 19 a few years ago so yeah so she's doing really well um but she's on immune suppressants Mm -hmm. um for for her illness how do you think the role of of the focused ultrasound that you did then maybe changed her management at that particular time absolutely so I mean as you know I'm a huge enthusiast and fan and champion of point of care ultrasound what it does it enables you as a clinician to deliver a diagnostic right at the bedside but more importantly you are getting the diagnosis there and then. So let's say I wasn't able to do that. What I would have to order an echo and the echo could possibly be done that day, the next day or three days. So it would have delayed that diagnosis. Um, So for the patient, it was brilliant because she got to see me doing a diagnostic there and then at the post-tape ward round. And I told her, you've got a leaky valve or we need to find out why that's going on. So she got her answer there and then. So anxiety, diagnosis, length of stay, um, the patient journey, you know, absolutely improves that. But more importantly, I would say for any clinician, whether you're acute or generalist or intensivist or a general practitioner, this is a skill that really empowers you to be the best clinician that you can be because you are able to, execute a diagnostic and answer a question so for me it was has she got, I was thinking has she got endocarditis yeah yeah is there vegetation because why is a 19 year old got severe AR on auscultation and mm-hmm. um you know what it gave us is she didn't have endocarditis but she's got something else yeah it's certainly something that I I can't do um point of care ultrasound um and it's a big I think a big failing of mine actually and it's something that I want to learn so I'm going to make a con you know a conscious effort this year to do POCUS yeah, yeah. definitely because I think it's so important particularly as an acute physician I should mm. be able to do that yeah and the brilliance of it is the portability uh, mm. of that and and what I will say is that during COVID it was uh, you know, it was absolutely invaluable because we were diagnosing COVID-19 at the bedside. We yeah. didn't have to take patients to CT. We were triaging them, getting in the right streams. But also these patients, they had no relatives, no one to see, but, you know, they had us in our sort of spacesuits and they could see, I could tell them, look, your lungs are getting better because look, you can look inside your body and look, it's getting better. So amazing. It was really, and I think COVID-19 has really put real emphasis on POCUS, that it's a tool that we should all be gaining. And if you look at medical school now, um, you know, we're still teaching, you know, 18th century medicine. We need to move with the times. IT has progressed. Um, In America, they're giving out uh, point of care ultrasound, you know, uh, you know, for them, for all medical students, and they've, they've got them, so they're actually applying it now. So, I think in a few years' time, and I, I don't think I, th- I know it's going to happen, is our medical students when they come out, they'll be more proficient than us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it will replace the stethoscope? Absolutely not. No. No. I don't, I don't think it should because a stethoscope is your first indicator. Like in this case. I listen to her heart. Okay, she's got a murmur. Now I will scan. So the stethoscope, we need that for your wheeze, listening to crepitations. Mm-hmm. And then the ultrasound is, I always describe it as the icing on the cake because the stethoscope, your history, your exam, your stethoscope, that will guide you. Do you need to do a POCUS scan? Mm-hmm. 
I've got a trainee who I work with at the moment who's fantastic and she's got this brilliant machine that she carries around with her in like a pocket and it's incredible and I'm you know I'm embarrassed that I don't have that skill and it's something that I really need to take on board and really learn over mm. the next couple of years because I think that will really change the way I practice mm. and what I would say to yourself and the audience is that it's not a difficult skill because we're not going to be radiographers or cardiographers we are just asking a simple question is there consolidation yes no is there fluid yes no and as I said it will empower you as a clinician and you will be able to deliver the best care possible I mean I I, I can't live without it and it's been a mm. it's been one of those sort of once you do it you never go back yeah, yeah, it's I definitely need to do it. So this has reaffirmed that decision in my mind that I need to do that this year. Absolutely. So we have a patient with Tekiasu's arteritis then. So just a little bit on the um, physiology, I guess. So we know that it's vasculitis of the large vessels, tends to affect the aorta and its primary branches that come off the aorta. Tend to see it more in women and it's usually diagnosed before the ages of 40 as well. Typical symptoms are on exertion, you might get some claudication in the limbs. So it tends to be the upper limbs. You might get chest pain. And that's certainly something that this individual had. Weight loss, she had that. Fatigue, she had that. Low-grade fever and myalgia, all of which this patient had. Examination-wise, you can sometimes get bruise over the carotids, and the aorta but it's one of those things that I have to say I don't really again listen to that often mm. so again it shows that importance of examination so tachyasus aortitis as you said is quite a very very rare condition and you'll probably see one or two in your lifetime of of sort of diagnoses but we know that it's immune mediated so you've always got that antigen antibody complex formation that is happening within the large arteries and we know that it's probably interleukin-6 one of our pro-inflammatory cytokines that is actually driving that so management wise we talked about glucocorticoids and in this individual who's only 19 lifelong glucocorticoid usage can be quite problematic can't it mm, absolutely i mean for her because when i've seen her again she's not the 19 very thin slim girl she was yeah. she's got she's got moon face she's got she's definitely overweight and and mm. for someone so young it's it's not great um and also um just let you know that as time has gone on she's now developed uh, narrowing of her left renal artery as well oh. um so uh, keeping very close on on on, on the renal function and so forth so it's it's a lifetime of of, mm. of medication for her yeah that's and it, and also with the because she's immunosuppressed she's going to have the increased incidence for the infections but also you've got the hypertension, osteoporosis, the cataract formation. I mean, and also, I guess, with the aortic regurgitation, could be congestive heart failure mm -hmm. um, a lot earlier than, yeah. you know, potentially she could have. Um, and I guess there'll be some implications for pregnancy as well. Yeah. Um, and I think they're discussing at the moment about stuff like anti-TNF agents right. and uh, biologics with her as well. Um, and they are having difficulty tapering down the steroids because she's been yeah. on them so, so long. That is a real challenge, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's been a really, really interesting case. And I think it highlights such important 
biases that we are faced with every single day mm. and we really need to I think we need to question ourselves every time we see a patient and every time we make a diagnosis is to question that diagnosis mm. and question it and question it and question yeah. it yeah and it's interesting because we talk about challenge and as a senior doctor we want our juniors to challenge us because it, it's so important but yeah. when you've got You've, you've got to be on high alert as well when your juniors are pushing you for to go down one pathway. So you always have to be mm-hmm. in a certain, you know, sort of space of mind and think, okay, no, it's not that. Let's go back. Mm. Let's go back. So um, I would say a, a junior should be challenging us every day. A- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the, the difficulty is, is when that's the 40th patient you may have seen that day mm-hmm. or you're yeah. really tired and then that's when the challenge comes, isn't it? Is actually sometimes you feel like you don't have enough time or you're tired or you've been up all night with a screaming baby or whatever. Yes. And it really does affect how you work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know the situation at the moment. You know, we come on to there's 15 patients bedded in ED, ambulatory care is bedded, and you've got 40 patients plus to see. You know, you have to decide who are you going to examine, who are you not going to examine, who are you going to take a deeper history or you're just going to go with the flow. And that's that can be very, very difficult and very challenging because the responsibility lies with you. And that's something I haven't mastered yet. I've been a consultant only for a few years and I still struggle to be, I guess, to triage who I need to spend more time with or less time with. And I'm still, I feel quite slow, actually. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's really difficult because of the ever-changing junior body as well. It's about that trust, you know, who we know the ones, the juniors you can trust. And you, I, I don't need to even, you know, lay a hand on. Yes, that's absolutely fine. But then there's something in the history that doesn't make sense. And that's where I think, okay, now I need, that's my trigger. I need to go back. Mm-hmm. So it's that gut instinct, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're, you're listening to something like, oh, that doesn't sit right. And often... Mm-hmm. It's difficult to explain why it doesn't sit right. It just doesn't sit right. So you then have to delve a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank great you. Case. I, yeah. I yeah. think hopefully the audience will see how, you know, um, biases have come in, mm. um, how a patient was dismissed for six months, mm. but also the power of what you can do by simple history examination and this utility of pokers. Yes, absolutely. So the key thing today is go back to basics. Go back to that history. Chat to your patients. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me, Amy. That's an absolute pleasure. And um, if anybody's got any questions, you can email at amy at efimacademy.org or tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Home of Medicine podcast, a podcast brought to you by the EFIM Academy in association with the European Federation of Internal Medicine, a leading organisation in internal medicine. Thanks for listening.